This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, opinion writer and columnist, and I'm joined by Metro editor Greg Jefferson. We're doing this week's podcast a couple of days later in the week than we normally would because Tuesday night was election night in Texas and uh, in other states as well. And um, we had uh, we had 14 propositions on the ballot uh, statewide and 13 of the 14 passed, including property tax cuts, uh, pension increases for retired teachers. The one uh, proposition that failed to pass, 13, was uh, would have uh, raised the mandatory retirement age for judges from 75 to 79. So people do not want judges uh, staying around longer, right? which, may, <laughs> which may tie into their, their, uh, some political uh, anxiety that Democrats have about Joe Biden right, um, right. Uh, running for another term. Uh, but um, in Houston, we have a, a mayoral runoff between uh, State Senator John Whitmire and U.S. Representative Sheila Jackson Lee. That's going to be next month. Uh, Wanted to talk a little bit about a race that that uh, got national attention. Uh, it, the, the town of Uvalde, a town of fifteen thousand people, uh, the, the eyes of the nation were on this election because this is the first election in Uvalde since the twenty twenty two school shooting at Robb Elementary, and one of the the candidates in the mayor's race, uh, Kimberly Mata Rubio, um, was the mother of one of the the children. Uh, killed at Robb Elementary. Um, and she has been a, a real activist for gun reform uh, since then. She made multiple trips to uh, Washington, D.C., to the state capitol to talk about this issue. And she was defeated in this election by former mayor Cody Smith. Uh, he's a former mayor, former councilman. He's uh, a vice president of First State Bank in Uvalde. And uh, he beat her by close to a two to one margin. She got about 33 percent of the vote. Um we, we had her on the podcast, uh, I think maybe a couple of months ago. She's a, a very bright, very passionate person. Um, and, uh, I think was a strong candidate, but I, I, I was curious, Greg, when you look at what happened here, I mean, she talked on the podcast about this, the sense that she had that her town was, was divided because there were people mm -hmm. like her who were really, you know, talking about the gun issue, talking about school safety and, um, that there were people who, really want to move on. Right. Yeah. I think there's a, and I think you, you probably can read this into the election night results that there's a slice of the electorate in Uvalde that doesn't want their town to be forever associated with the massacre at, at Robb elementary. I think that was probably part of it. But I mean, look, you also, uh, it would have been, um, uh, a difficult race for her to win under any circumstances. Mm -hmm. uh, just it's uh, it's a conservative town. I think she was seen as the liberal mm -hmm. candidate. There are all kinds of you know. Uh, there's a racial schism in in Uvalde, and it's you know most you know their mayors have been Anglo mayors and and yeah, uh, true. you know. But but 
I mean, I don't think I never got the sense that Cody Smith was playing on that, yeah. using it, using it as a wedge issue, race that is. Um, and it could be going back to, you know, maybe Valdi voters, some of them, many of them, maybe wanting to kind of just move forward and, you know, move, move beyond, you know, what happened at Rob Elementary, the, the school shooting. You know, he's, He's maybe a comfortable figure. He was, he was, he was a mayor. With Very 15. familiar. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, so he's, he's held the position before he's highly regarded and he's, uh, there's probably a comfort factor with him. Yeah. I think one of the things that was, uh, that was nice to see was on election night and this, the mm -hmm. video has been on around on social media, mm -hmm. uh, for, over the past several hours was a video of, of Kimberly Mato Rubio uh, going up to Cody Smith, uh, congratulating him. Uh, t you know, they, they hugged each other. They, they, they talked about how they want to work with each other. Mm -hmm. um, we don't see a lot of that kind of, uh, of that in, in our politics right, now. Yeah. And it, it was, it was, it was comforting. And I, I, um, I mean, I think she has a very bright future. I don't, I think she's going to be very involved in public, public policy and mm -hmm. advocacy. Uh, it may, may or may not be a, as an elected official, but I think she's going to be, we're going to be hearing a lot I think, from her in, in the years to come. Right. Yeah. The other thing I think that was a big story in, in, in maybe the big story, if we look at the, what happened uh, nationally mm -hmm. was the, the effect of the abortion issue, which has, um, has really uh, not uh, played well for Republicans since Roe v. Wade was overturned last year. We had they had a disappointing uh, midterm election results last mm -hmm. year. Um, we've had other states mm -hmm. that have uh, that have uh, affirmed abortion rights or, mm -hmm. or or voted down attempts to to restrict abortion. Uh, on Tuesday, we had o Ohio pass. Ohio, this is a is a, is a pretty red state at this yeah. point in twenty twenty three. I mean, no, nobody's nobody's thinking they're on the far left. Yeah, <laughs> they passed a. a, a a proposition protecting abortion rights in Kentucky, another red state. You had uh, Democrat Andy Bashir mm -hmm. uh, win a gubernatorial race, and one of the things that that you know he he ran on was a, a, a TV ad featuring a young woman saying that she was raped by her stepfather at the mm -hmm. age of twelve, and saying that this that other people in her position should not have to um, be forced. Yeah, it was into, a really powerful it, ad. Yeah, yeah, into into yeah. into. Uh, you know, uh, into a pregnancy, mm -hmm. uh, under those circumstances. Um, and his opponent, uh, Daniel Cameron was a, is a very, you know, hardcore anti-abortion candidate. Um, in Virginia, they held the D Democrats held the state Senate and they flipped the state house, which will have the effect of preventing their Republican governor, Glenn Youngkin, who, yep. who until yesterday was talked about as a, as maybe a last ditch attempt right, to right. stop Trump in the Republican presidential race. I don't think we're going to hear about that, but anymore <laughs> that might be done, yeah. might be done. <laughs> but, um, but the effect of what happened in Virginia is that, um, he will be blocked from, from, uh, you know, uh, yeah, enacting an abortion. He's, he's kind of, yeah, it's a, he's on the gubernatorial island. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're controlled by, you know, the, the legislative arm is democratic now. Yeah. It's an interesting thing that it almost feels to me. I'm not sure that even under, under Roe v. Wade that abortion was ever a big uh, winning issue for Republicans nationally. In some states it right. might have been. But it's clearly uh, now that they got what they wanted, which was to to have uh, Roe v. Wade repealed. Um, they, it clearly is is right. backfiring on them politically. At least they drank from the poison chalice. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, you know, what, when we, we go into 2024, I don't know mm. uh, how big an issue it'll be to save in the presidential race, but I, it, it, it's something I, that has to make Republicans a little nervous. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think Republicans were probably hoping that the midterm elections, which were disappointing for them, uh, they were supposed to make huge gains. They didn't. And, you know, a lot of that's attributed to backlash over the over Dobbs and the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Uh, I'm sure uh, the party elders hoped that would have been it, that that had, you know, the the backlash had exhausted itself. It clearly has not, Um, particularly when, you know, state by state, uh, we keep hearing about new uh, restrictions on abortion where it hasn't already been outlawed. Mm -hmm. So this is going to, you know, is going to be an ongoing thing. That said, um, you know, always leave it to the Democrats to screw it up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. this may they may have uh, they may have a powerful issue, but who knows what they'll do with it? You know, they could they could collapse into, you know, identity politics mm-hmm. squabbles or whatever. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it this has got to be, you know, I don't see how you can read this as anything other than, you know, at least somewhat promising for the party going into next election year. And uh the new U.S. Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, if, if there's anyone in the Republican right. ranks who is a true believer when it mm. comes to the idea that abortion should should be, you know, banned at, at, under any circumstances. Mm. I mean, this is this has been a big issue for him mm. for, for many years. Um, yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting how Republicans one of the things that we've heard from Republicans, uh, which I think they've in, in their attempt to maybe flip this issue, which they, I think they they've sensed has not has not gone well for them uh, recently, mm-hmm. is to talk about, you know, Democrats. Uh, they want to allow uh, abortions up to birth and even after birth. This is something that Donald Trump talks about. Um, it's, uh-huh. I don't we could devote probably two or three podcast episodes to talking about how bizarre and inaccurate <laughs> this depiction right. is, but um, the idea that women are deciding right, yeah, into it, like I mean, I've, I've just decided I don't want to, I don't want to do this. Right, yeah. Yeah. I it's, mean, it's apart not, from, apart from the weirdness of, yeah. of arguments like that, yeah. uh, they were a lot more powerful when uh, Roe versus Wood was standing mm-hmm. and, and was a thing and no yeah. longer is. So it's happening in a different context where state by state, you know, you could lose your right to an abortion. Uh, in that setting, yeah, that argument doesn't play as well. Right. And and uh, one last thing on that is, as I mentioned, Mike Johnson, uh, this is a big issue for him. He has advocated in the past for a federal abortion ban. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine Donald Trump, the likely Republican uh, nominee for president, uh, is not going to want to touch that that issue. But Democrats, right. I think, would be would mm-hmm. would probably, probably want to um, make sure that he gets mm-hmm. that he gets asked about that yeah. uh, as often as possible. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Um, Greg, I want to talk about um, a story that you had over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're all fascinated by uh, what might happen yeah. with with the Spurs, uh, a new Spurs arena. And uh, the story you had over the weekend talked about the possibility of the hemisphere area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Site yeah. for it. Yeah. So uh, the 
the way this story came about was uh, we were doing some reporting last week, found out that the owners of the San Antonio Missions, who they're they're scouting around for a downtown location for a new baseball stadium. Uh, the, the missions have not gotten a lot of love from Eric Walsh, the city manager of San Antonio. Uh, he's much more interested in pursuing an arena, uh, with the Spurs. He wants the Spurs downtown to kind of enliven the center city. So, uh, the missions have been kind of in the backseat, but, you know, a representative for the team approached Walsh a couple of weeks ago saying, hey, okay, we're going to be submitting a plan the stadium plan to the city, to you, uh, soon. And um, are there any, you know, we'll be proposing several sites. Uh, are there any we shouldn't propose? <laughs> and the, the word back was, Meh, you might want to stay away from the uh, site of the uh, Institute of Texan Cultures, which is on that southeast corner of Hemisphere. So uh, UTSA for years now really has been wanting to, you know, wanting to move the Institute, which is pretty interesting. I mean, like the content's pretty interesting, mm-hmm. but it's in this ancient Ugly, outmoded kind of <laughs> building. Right. Building. Yeah. It's run down. It's it leaks like a sieve. Uh, heating bill must be terrible. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. So they've wanted a new facility for a long time. Uh, now they're working with the city. They're hoping, you know, they're, they're kind of exploring several avenues. They're giving the UTSA is, is spending the next six months figuring out what to do with the institute. I think what they really want to do is build a new uh, structure for it, a new facility uh, close to uh, Crockett Hotel by the Alamo. I think mm-hmm. they want to be part of the Alamo's redevelopment. That's pretty, that would make sense, yeah. And it's a pretty cool idea. Uh, and if that's the case, uh, the city could get control of the ITC site now. Um, and, you know, so when word comes back to the missions, no, don't look at the ITC site. It's like, okay, well, what, what other big project do you have coming along that you might want to put there? The Spurs Arena. <laughs> That's it. I mean, of course, all of this, I mean, we got to say the, uh, neither the Spurs, uh, nor the city, they, they have refused to comment. Like the most substantial, uh, stuff we've gotten in our reporting concerning both the team and the city has come from open records requests. Yeah. Uh, but we know, uh, you know, we know from good sourcing that, you know, this is, this is the case. Yeah. yeah. It, it, would that site be the Institute of Texas and Cultures? Would that be big enough? I'm assuming it would be. It would be. Yeah. yeah. Um, however, um, it, big enough for an arena. And we're talking about a, you know, this will be, you know, if, if it comes to fruition and all of this, you have to, you have to qualify everything about this. These, these plans are still in motion. It could, you know, it could work out that, uh, the Spurs stay at Frost Bank Center on the east side. I think that's unlikely. Mm-hmm. I think they do wind up downtown. And if they do, I do think it's going to be at the Hemisphere site. Um, the site's 13 acres. It is large enough to accommodate a billion dollar, uh, arena, which is almost certainly what this would cost. Parking is going to be a huge, uh, concern. Um, and there are different scenarios. You could, you know, the, it's right across, uh, highway or US 281 from the Alamo Dome, uh, which is city owned. 
You could coordinate scheduled for events at the Alamodome to have parking available. You know, they've got these two kind of oceanic parking lots sure. <laughs> on either side of the Alamo Dome, you could work things out so that those those are available for game nights and then, you know, create a sky bridge or, or some kind of, you know, some way to get from one side of the highway to the other. That That's one option. You know, you could do parking garages. But yeah, I, I think all of that has to be sorted out. We've, you know, we've heard uh, talk about a, a sports entertainment district around, mm-hmm. you know, some, some maybe something similar to what uh, San Francisco has with the Golden State Warriors now. Mm-hmm. Or, um, right. Uh, can you envision something like that? I mean, it's, uh, you know, the, um, it's important to note that back in July, the the one interview I had with Eric Walsh that he that he uh, submitted to was in July, and he did say, "I you know I've not heard about uh, this this idea for a stadium district from either the Missions or the Spurs. I've only read it in the Express News. Mm-hmm. I think I think the ownership groups have been talking about it. Maybe they haven't, you know, maybe they hadn't get, gotten to the point where it was." Uh, you know, the, the plan was set or, or, or far enough along for them to have presented to the city. But I think that was the idea. I'm, I think I'm, I'm coming to the conclusion that it's, it may not be likely. Like you could wind up mm-hmm. with a baseball stadium on maybe the west end of downtown. Yeah. And, uh, a Spurs arena on the east end. And I think that's driven, uh, largely by the fact that they've got, you have, you have, some co-ownership, like Peter J. Holtz, who's the managing partner of the Spurs. He's also an investor in the missions. You know, you've got Bruce Hill. He's a Spurs investor, also the missions investor, several kind of in that category. However, um, these two groups have very, they're under very different pressures. Like uh, the missions group has until basically uh, the beginning of 2025 to present Major League Baseball with a real plan like a real workable plan for a new stadium uh, because their current facility does not meet, you know, it, it's a Nelson Wolf uh, municipal stadium on the far West side. It's, it's, it was cute in its day, <laughs> but it, you know, it's like, they need better lighting, yeah. better clubhouses. They need modern training facilities. And it would take, it's not even clear that you could, you could bring that facility up to ML, MLB standards. Yeah. With, with, with the Spurs arena, you're, you're dealing with, I mean, a lot of good arguments can be made on behalf of the existing arena. Mm. The location is probably the big problem. Yeah, yeah. With with uh, Nelson Wolf Arena, it's probably both. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So the missions, like they're, um, you know, and we saw this in in uh, text messages between Randy Smith, who is one of the missions investors. He's also CEO of Western Urban. Between him and Eric Walsh uh, from January through uh, July of this year, mm-hmm. Um yeah, he said, this is, it's like, we're losing, you know, this was a text message in May. We're losing cr- all credibility with MLB and this, the San Diego Padres. We've got to do something. We have to have a plan. The Padres are the uh, missions affiliate, mm-hmm. uh, MLB affiliate. Uh, so, yeah, like, they've, they've got to have something soon, very, very soon. Uh, the Spurs, on the other hand, their lease uh, at the county-owned uh, Frost Bank Center expires in 2032. So they have, they have a much longer runway yeah. than the missions. Well, that, that's interesting. It gets to when somebody, I heard, uh, was talking with somebody the other day about this. And I don't know if it's, if this is the case. And, and I know that the people that you'd, uh, 
who are the players in this are, are really reluctant to talk right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but someone I was talking with suggested that they thought the sense of, uh, that that the city might even be more driven to get this done than the than the Spurs ownership <laughs> yeah. themselves. That the Spurs are that that the cities they're the ones looking well, at this. I mean, like, if we you really th- want to make this. Yeah, happen. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you well, let me say, I, I do think the Spurs um, they definitely want more luxury boxes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's like it's not clear to me that uh, that the limitations of of the Frostbank Center are are so yeah. so great that they couldn't stay there and still be a profitable. Whereas, like twenty five years ago, the city thought they might lose. Right. The Spurs yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. But I do think I think the Spurs want they want to create more of an experience. Yeah. Right. Like they're you know they're going to be charging more. I mean, particularly in the Wimby era, assuming everything goes well. You know. Uh, yeah. So like they they want they want fans to be able to make a night of it. Uh, you know, come in. Come into downtown, park somewhere. We're not sure where yet. Uh, go to a bar, have dinner, whatever. Go to the game, go back to the bar, call an Uber, go home. Yeah. And it's you, you made a night of it. It's, it's a much kind of richer experience. I think I think the Spurs are interested in that. For the city, though, yeah, like it's more, um, it seems like more of an imperative. Like you've got a downtown that's, you know, it's, it's recovering. Um, mm-hmm better from the pandemic than a lot of other major mm-hmm. U.S. cities. But, I mean, at its best, it's been kind of, eh, eh. Yeah. you know, yeah. it's yeah. always been kind of a meh yeah. downtown without um, any kind of real excitement factor. And I think the city's just very, you know, I think Eric Walsh, uh, Mayor Ron Nuremberg, I just think they they see this as as a shot to really inject some energy downtown, maybe attract new residents. Mm-hmm. And once, you know, if you accomplish that, you bring more residents downtown, maybe companies begin, you know, they'll see, you know, the, because these are likely to be higher income, higher education, people living downtown. It's, it's more expensive. A real decade of downtown. Yeah, yeah, true. true, Yeah, truly. And so it, it, it's more it's more attractive as a destination for businesses. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the idea. Yeah. It doesn't often work out that way, but that's the idea. And uh, I want to wrap things up talking about an issue which is uh, uh, we've we've seen play out at, at City Hall recently. Um, obviously, there's a lot of f- focus on um, what's going on in the Middle East between uh, Israel and and Hamas. You had Hamas attacking. Uh, Israel and Israel responded by bombarding the Gaza Strip, and uh, you know a lot of uh, Palestinian civilians have been mm-hmm. have been uh, killed in these attacks, and um, you know just a, there's a, just a lot of a lot of anger really on both sides of this issue. But mm-hmm. one of the things that's come up is that we've seen protesters uh, turn up at City Hall during council meetings um, to protest the fact that the city has a friendship pact with Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. Um, What's what's the history of this this friendship pact and and what does it what does it mean in the grand scheme of things? I mean the the friendship pact is um, it it's falls far short of a sister city agreement, yeah. which is you know it, it, it's you have more of a cultural exchange under a sister city thing. So basically, this is like hey, we have some things in common between our two cities. Uh, we'll exchange pleasantries. We'll send delegations every now and then. It, Pretty symbolic. Really, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's really not much to it. Um, and yeah, Tel Aviv is not a sister city. It's, you know, it's, I, I'm trying to remember, was this, 
do you remember whose administration this was? I think this was under Castro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this was forged under Julian Castro. Um, And it's not really advanced. Uh, Often, you know, these friendship city packs kind of evolve and they become sister cities, uh, sister city agreements. That didn't happen in this case. I mean, it's it's fine. but yeah, like uh, pro-Palestinian uh, advocates and community members who have just been following, you know, the media coverage of of this conflict and uh, the Israeli army pushing into Gaza. You know, they're they're um, they see some really gruesome, horrifying images, and a lot, I think a lot of a lot of people who have been showing up to city council on Wednesday nights, which is when they have. The uh, public comment. I think they're re- they're responding to that, mm. um, and they're wanting. You know, they're they're trying to push uh, Nuremberg to withdraw San Antonio from the Friendship City Agreement, and to get him to introduce uh, a ceasefire proclamation, mm. or you know, a, basically a statement on behalf of the city council supporting a ceasefire. Yeah. And he's refused to do either. Yeah, and this is. I mean, we we saw people. Uh, uh, heckling uh, U.S. Representative uh, Joaquin mm. Castro uh, last weekend. Right. And he's someone who's called for a ceasefire, but he is not, I guess, right. signed on to a mm-hmm. specific ceasefire resolution right. that some members of Congress have signed yeah. on to. So he was getting heckled over. So it's, I mean, this is a very intense uh, emotional issue for people right now. It is. It is. And it's like the way it's playing out kind of in the U.S. political world. I mean, it's just, it's creating chaos on the left. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, you've got, um, you know, I mean, nobody's going to look at Ron Nuremberg and say, this is a conservative. He's not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he's 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 very firm, you know, within it was in less than a week after the Hamas, Hamas attack on the Israeli border towns that, you know, he introduced a proclamation, you know, condemning Hamas, supporting supporting Israel. And he's, you know, he's resisted calls from the uh, pro-Palestinian advocates. Well, we're going to wrap things up there. I hope everyone's doing well. Thank you so much for for listening and watching. And uh, we'll be back with you again next week. Take care.